Welcome to the wonderful world of wine. We are your hosts, Mark Lindsay and Kim Simone, exploring all things wine with you. You can find us on Facebook at The Wonderful World of Wine. Hello, everybody, and thank you for joining Kim and I today on The Wonderful World of Wine. Every week, we talk with you about topics and trends in the wine world. And first, we like to say uh, what we Googled ourselves this week. So, Kim, what did you research this week? A little backstory. I was contacted a few months ago by my alma mater about putting um, a little piece in the alumni magazine that comes out a few times a year. So I chatted with the school and I gave them some wine tips and some things like that. So my article was just published a couple days ago and there was a fellow alumni of mine who works for a winery down in Virginia. So he reached out and said hello and said, hey, you know, another Colgate grad. And uh, I wanted to check out the winery. So I did a little Googling of, of that winery down in Virginia. It's called Early Mountain Wines, and hopefully I get to maybe learn a little bit more about them soon. I have to ask him, Colgate, what is the the mascot, the fighting toothpaste? No. Or what is the, what's your, what's your <laughs> what mascot? Uh, I think they were the Red Raiders, so Red by Raiders? the time I was there, there was... You weren't a sports fan. Um, I mean, I was, in, I was in the pep band, so, <laughs> you know, I did go to a lot of games, but with my trusty saxophone. And I did share that story on the Wonderful World of Wine Facebook yes, thank page. thank you we very much. We a lot of feedback, so thank you for everyone for recognizing Kim's uh, achievement, the old <laughs> alumni. <laughs> thank you. And what about yourself? What did you Google this week, Mark? This week, Kim, I was looking at an interesting stat, at least I think it was interesting, yet geeky. The top wine grapes that were planted in the United States in 1920. Why? Yeah, Why 1920? Well, because <laughs> they're interesting because I want to tell you these grapes. What do you think was the top planted grape in 1920 mm. in the USA? Not California, USA, 1920. Concord. Concord was not on the list, but I was mm. thinking something like that. Yeah, I was right? thinking some, something native to the U.S. Well, uh, the, Trebbiano. Trebbiano is not on, but it is white grapes. A lot okay. of white grape. The uh, first I don't know. was Burger. Burger. From, yeah, it's it's a interesting white grape. Uh, and I'm going to mess this up. You're my Swiss interpreter. Oh, Chasselas. Okay. A Swiss grape. Yes. They grow oh. a lot of that in Switzerland. We don't see it here because they don't really export, but that's the main white grape of Switzerland. Palomi, Palomi, Palomina? Palomino? Palomina. Oh, my, my spell. I can't even read my writing. Maybe not. Palomino, Palomino like from Sherry? Palomina. It's with an L. It is oh, a okay. sp- the Spanish grape. Yep. I couldn't even read my writing. I couldn't pronounce <laughs> it. <laughs> and last was Riesling. So at least we know Riesling, right? But it's way, all those white grapes. All white grapes, mostly jug. At that time, it was mm-hmm. jug bulk grapes, uh, but not the, you know, the Shahs, the cabs of today's grapes. So no Zinfandel, no, no Merlot, no, no Chardonnay. Interesting white grapes. And and I think Burger is still grown in like Central Valley. That's mm-hmm. like a mixing jug type of thing to blend in. But uh, yeah, those were it. Our first topic today is from uh, foodandwine.com. And a lot of this has been in the news lately, Kim. This is probably one of the big ones where a winery has a lawsuit because their wine grapes have been tainted 
by marijuana tainting their grapes. What, what's your thoughts? We're, we're working in a lot of marijuana stories into the wine world, <laughs> but it's that we're seeing marijuana shops open every day in the state and all around. So this is interesting because it's the first real lawsuit that someone has said, hey, you're ruining my, my crop. I have to do something about it to get my money back. Well, I think the interesting thing is that nobody was nobody could prove that anything was ruined. So there was this alleged maybe flavor issue with the grapes, but nobody tested the wine or tasted the grapes and said, yeah, we can pick up these aromas or these flavors. What it was, was that there was the idea that the grapes would be affected. So nobody had proven that there was an issue with the grapes, but the the idea was that they couldn't, that the wine growers, the grape growers could not sell the grapes because there was this idea that maybe there was a problem with them. So I, 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 this was sort of fascinating. Yeah, that was my understanding saying too they were smelling the actual marijuana so they they felt it was going to somehow hurt the grapes and the the winery or the vineyard never heard of it. i think they might just be a grower mm-hmm. uh, Tazazi, yes i think was the vineyard it, it led me to like it didn't really say how is this smell coming about was there a, a grower next to him so was there was there a, a grower was near the the vineyard and the idea was that nobody would want to buy these people's grapes because they were so close to this marijuana farm that it was almost like they were suing the marijuana farm almost for like defamation. Like because you're too close, you are impacting what people think about the quality of our grapes because people are afraid that the flavor from your farm is going to impact the flavor from our farm. But nobody has actually proven that there is any flavor difference in the grapes from this particular vineyard. And this was in Oregon, So it was loss of the, yeah. So it was like loss of value of the vineyard because of the marijuana neighbors. I've seen stories, this being Oregon, I've seen stories in Lodi, and there's always been a history in Mendocino, California, is pretty much known as the weed capital of mm-hmm. the United States, where they've had issues in kind of addressing it. And then I was thinking, I can I can relate to this because I've heard stories, for instance, do you, you know Franklin has a, a grow facility in Franklin? Okay. And one day, a painter came in my store, and he smelled really bad of weed. And, and I said, oh my God, right? You, you, nowadays, you, you, it's hard to, it's worse than, in our industry, we're always thinking, looking for people who are under the influence of alcohol. But now everyone comes in smoke, smelling of, of weed. So you're just taking it as a, a grain of salt, right? But I, he was still in his work clothes. And, you know, I had to ask him. And he was telling me he was painting at this facility, this grow facility. Uh. And just painting in the place, the aroma overpowers you just from the plants itself. Hmm. And all of their equipment, their tops, everything saturated with the smell. So then I'm thinking, I can totally relate. Say there's a weed being grown next to your vineyards, the wind blows, you can actually get the oils, everything on your grapes. And we do see this with other things and other plants that have very aromatic oils, things like rosemary, things like eucalyptus. It has been proven that some of the flavor of those plants do get absorbed into wine grapes. And then you do kind of smell and taste that in your, uh, your final wine. That's why eucalyptus is such a common descriptor term for things from Australia because, you know, surprise, eucalyptus trees are everywhere. And and those oils float through the air and land on the grapes and are absorbed by the grapes. So I can't say that this is beyond the realm of possibility of what could be happening. What I thought was the most fascinating about this was that the lawsuit was brought because a buyer canceled their order for grapes from this vineyard. So the vineyard didn't turn around and sue the buyer who canceled the order. They turned around and sued the neighbor 
Uber from the marijuana farm. So I just, I thought that that was sort of interesting. You know, they didn't sue their buyer for yeah, breach those- of contract or whatnot. It's like, you're turning around and you're like, dude, we lost our deal because the people who are buying or trying to buy our grapes are now influenced by what they think is going on because of your farm next We've door. We've seen those contracts with growers with smoke yes. paint, right? And, and I think that this they is have a, the a right very... to just say, we don't want your fruit. Yeah. So in, yeah. in turn, they have to go after somebody and they, they probably going after insurance as well. So it, it's been in the news a lot. Mm-hmm. And maybe the other side of this is there's going to be someone someday is going to say, you know what? I'm going to ferment these grapes. I'm going to market it as it's saturated. <laughs> And but because they and don't that know. might be a fantastic selling point. Yeah, so. after fermentation, you don't know what it's going to be to do, right? There's no. I haven't heard anything yet of what happens if you ferment it. It has you know weed taint on it. So you could go the other way if you yeah. don't get your money from the lawsuit. Ferment it, bottle it as whatever some crazy name, and you might get a population that that would go far. And I hope this fruit gets used and doesn't get wasted. You're listening to The Wonderful World of Wine. We are your hosts, Mark and Kim. You can find out information about myself at my website, venitaswineworks.com, and more information about Mark and his store at franklinliquors.com. So we love to have these topics that are lists and top trends or favorite wine grapes or top 10 restaurant foods that pair great with wine. And as a new year begins and an old year is going out, we do seem seem to see a lot of these articles and uh, and one that we just ran across from one of our favorite websites Vinepair was sommeliers talk about the worst wine trends that are going out the door in 2019 so we we always see a lot of change and there's always newer younger people in the industry that are shaking things up and newer wine drinkers and you know change is the only constant so uh, interesting to talk about some of the things that professional Professional sommeliers are seeing as trends that they would be happy to see gone. Yeah, I, like, I love this website. Can I think our listeners should really check it out? Vine Pair, they do a lot of graphical uh, presentations of the wine world. This, they just went out and they asked people within the industry, what's the worst thing that was out there last year? And it, and it was like 14, 15 items. I thought we'd go through each and kind of give our two cents on each one for you. So Kim, what's the first one? So the first one on my list, continuing a, a topic that we've been talking talking about a lot these last few weeks, CBD infused wines. So there seems to be a lot of frustration from wine folks out there about things being added to wine, whether it be CBD, I don't know if it's oils that you, you wouldn't add oil to wine. I don't know flavoring compounds. Uh, but the general uh, gist seems to be that wine should just be wine. It shouldn't be flavored with anything else. It shouldn't have added extra vitamins or other things to it that wine should be maybe a more natural product with grapes and yeast and and not extra flavorings added to it. Two marijuana stories in, I in know, one my show. Wow. We're, that's it. We're not going to talk anymore We're about marijuana. So exactly. No, they say nothing should be added to the wine. And like you were saying, Kim, I still have no clue of what will be allowed, what they're doing when they add right? this. Yeah, no so idea. <laughs> 
I agree. This is something we should just, you know, go move on. Let let's see what happens in the future. But for now, it's been hot. Let's just move on from this. Stick from it. This topic. It'll be your infused seltzers, but we'll we'll keep it away from wine. Yeah, please. <laughs> <laughs> the second one, and this this is one that I I can get behind. Getting rid of this idea of making consumers feel a little bit dumb because they want to drink something that is familiar and comfortable. We spend our lives surrounded by wine, and so we're always looking for what's new and what's interesting. But there is definitely, I think, value in having those items on a wine list or in a store that people find and are comfortable with and are like old favorites. So not making customers or guests feel like they're a little bit out of it because they want to go with something that is tried and true. Yeah. And they were saying it's the young sommeliers in in restaurants that are kind of talking down to the guests because they might be a Kendall Jackson fan and their wine is not on the list because the young sommeliers want to go with some crazy things. And instead of saying, you know, hey, laugh and we don't have that on the list, they, they're rude about it maybe and not handling it the right way. But like you say, can we approach it from education? They should be more friendly and just say, what do you drink? I recommend this because it's not put anyone down for their choice in, in wine. So that was a very bad trend. I agree. <laughs> what about next, Kim? Next, something that a lot of these sommeliers think should be thrown out the window is using the point system for scoring wine. And there have actually been a few articles that have crossed our desks about this very topic that this idea that had that came about about 30, 40 years ago about rating wines with a number score from either zero to 20 or zero to 100 is kind of antiquated now. And that there is so much more information out there that people can get their hands on describing what a wine tastes like and what it feels like that the idea of giving it a number score and saying, hey, this 96 is better than this 94 is better than this 89 is maybe something that needs to be got, getting, gotten rid of. Yeah, the points trend, like you said, Kim, there's many articles I'm sure we're going to be hitting more down the road on this as well. But I don't see restaurants like on wine list saying, hey, Mm-mm. you know, this shot in 100 points, no. whereas retail goes the other way. So I'm surprised a sommelier would even bring up this as a bad trend in the restaurant world. I can see it is a bad trend in the retail world that people are kind of getting away from a little bit well, recently. What, what I can see is consumers who are still familiar with the point system and sitting down at a table and looking at a wine list and then asking the server, oh, what do you have that's a 95 point wine? And it, those scoring things are really hard because it doesn't take the style of the wine into consideration. So you can have a wine that some wine critic has scored 96 points, but you don't like it because maybe it's not your style or there are so many reasons why you might not like that wine, might not go with your meal. It might not be maybe that bottle of wine will taste better in a few years. And that wasn't necessarily taken into consideration with the scoring of the wine. So it's not necessarily about how high of a score did this wine get? It's more, is this the right wine for me? Does this have flavors that I like? Does this have textures that I like? I totally agree. Profile, not not points. Exactly. Next, All right. What's next on your list? Next, I, they had the trend of misunderstanding of sulfur. And we've covered sulfites many times and less than 1% of the population has an issue with sulfur. And a lot of people are focusing on maybe asking a little too much or being worried too much about sulfates in wine. And they're saying this trend should just go away. People should not be concerned about sulfur and, and wine. And I think this is all about education. And once people understand that it's not that 
that big of an issue. You know, you you're not this react. Maybe you're having a reaction to a wine, but the reaction is not coming from the sulfites in the wine, even though you might think that that's the issue because there's always that warning label on that bottle that says contain sulfites. We actually haven't talked about sulfites in a while. This yeah. was a, you know, a topic of conversation <laughs> for, for so long. But just because there's that warning label on there doesn't necessarily mean that this is going to have a detrimental impact on you and your health and your body. Like like Mark said, you know, he said there's only like maybe one or two percent of the population that has a legit issue with sulfites. But generally for most people, it's not something that you have to be concerned about. I agree. Move move of on course. from the, move sulfites. On from the don't, sulfites. Don't worry about this. And we talked about this before. There's worse things in there that uh, you <laughs> should worry about that you have no idea yeah that bottle of wine uh so another thing to be gotten rid of as we move into 2020 homogenous wine lists and this sort of idea that there are some restaurants that have wine lists that are maybe all wines that are of a very similar style or you know a similar grape variety or it's all big powerful reds or all light dry minerally whites i can't say that i've really run into this issue and maybe i just haven't been dining out as much in a variety of restaurants lately but i could definitely see that this would be a problem in a restaurant if you you know you walk in and you have certain wines that you like and you can't find any of those wines on the wine list because the wines are too similar on a particular wine list yeah there was a few things about wine lists on here kim i think we should talk about kind of mix it all together mm-hmm. the the wine lists were not cost friendly the wine lists maybe don't match with the food that's on the menu yeah that's what I, that was the i so, think the segue from the homogenous wine list yeah, it's like well it's all right different. If, if you've got a whole variety of food on your on your menu, then it makes sense to have a whole variety of wine on your menu as well. Yeah, and it, it's funny when you go to a, I don't want to say a basic, but an everyday, say, general food restaurant, American menu, they have big brands, a very small wine list. They're not really making the wine list to go with the foods because they have so many different foods. Maybe they just have a variety. Mm-hmm. Whereas legal seafoods, there's focus on seafood pairing wines. So in the trend, this, um, was you taking it that a lot of people are not doing it the right way so, and they're saying let's I, get away from it let's focus on I took more. this as maybe a couple of of people were focusing in on maybe there were a couple of hot trendy restaurants that were doing something completely different with their wine list and doing this really focused we are only going to do reds from volcanic islands or we're only going to do too specialized you know, too specialized too geeky, yeah and really. then it doesn't give a, a lot of variety for a lot of casual wine drinkers who maybe aren't as into this kind of thing. So I, I kind of got the impression that maybe this is not a, a universal trend, but maybe it was somebody pointing out a couple of very specific instances of rest, restaurants doing this, maybe in more trendy restaurant markets like New York or LA. Yeah, the article definitely showed different sommeliers with different views on the list and what they didn't like. So mm-hmm. it's probably personal to them. Yeah. Them what they don't like on other people's lists. Right. So that was a good, a good point. You're listening to The Wonderful World of Wine. We are your hosts, Kim and Mark. You can find more information about Mark at franklinliquors.com, more information about myself at vinitaswineworks.com, and you can find past episodes of our show on SoundCloud. So we're talking about wine trends that wine professionals and sommeliers would like to see uh, gotten rid of as we move into a new year. And we're talking about restaurant wine lists in particular. And another topic is rising wine prices. Prices always 
do seem to be going up. And right now, as we have been talking about, you know, tariffs and new taxes and all sorts of things that are impacting the cost of wine, we see that sometimes those prices have to be passed on to the consumer and then you will therefore see wine prices rising in your favorite restaurant as well. Yeah, and they were focusing a lot on New York lists the prices are high and I don't think anything's low in New York no. anyway. So, I mean, a restaurant typically two to three times more than the retail bar if you can find it in retail. So I don't think that trend's ever going away no matter what city it is in because of the fact, as you just said, Kim. So to me, it's a, it's not really trending. I think it's always been that way mm-hmm. myself. So w- what else about restaurants, Kim? There was a good wine list and then this is right in your alley. They're saying good list, but the staff does right. not understand it. So if you have staff that has hasn't been appropriately trained to know what the wines are all about, to make good recommendations, to be able to talk about how the food and the wine goes together, to be able to find something that the guest is going to be able to enjoy on that wine list that maybe they've never had before, that staff training is very, very important. And that a lot of these sommeliers would like to see more of that and less of the staff being undertrained or or education being underutilized. And I completely get behind this because we feel like education is very important, not only because it makes the servers, you know, better at their job, but that if you are dining at that restaurant, you are going to have such a much better time if you have someone making those those great recommendations for you where you're going to really enjoy what you're what you're getting. Yeah, and I, I totally agree. We're both high on education. I also feel staff not only should know the, what the wines are, but know what wines they have. So if someone was to ask, you know, I'm having this dish, what would you suggest? And if you don't know the whole products that you're selling, that that is also, to me, education you need then you can go to the next level you, now you know what you have let's learn about what what they can pair with and etc and mm-hmm. kind of gain on that i guess last uh, well now that we have a bunch more. A few more we have a bunch more the, there was an interesting one kim about keg wines lack of information on keg wines and i can relate to this because i recently was researching a lot about what's available in kegs it's focused a lot to sell to restaurants but i thought there would be a market in retail for home consumers to want to have a a keg of wine for parties or have just oh, in their home. And it was difficult to find information on how it could be done, how it could be purchased. And then a lot of the brands only wanted to sell to restaurants. They mm-hmm. would not sell to retail. So that's what I've I can seen see the is lack that it's of like it's just a, a restaurant focused distribution thing there that there's really no thought about selling and on a retail level so that people can then take home these really large format wine kegs have wine. Yeah, it's for me. Is it's it like, a is it a hardware issue? Is it no, it's, I mean, it's, it's no different than if you wanted a beer keg. We have a, many people that have their own draft systems. I mean, if you're a true wine lover and you have an everyday go-to wine that you can get in a keg form and, and save on the environment, on bottles and other things at the cost, there's some very nice high-end Pinot Noirs and stuff that come in keg that I think people would really enjoy. That's a lot of one wine. Yeah. That's well, no, they, I think if we went over the numbers before. It's it's like a six-barrel keg, so it's, it's not, you know, it's... It's like two and a half cases of beer. So it's like two cases, maybe. If you were having a party or, you know, I just think it's a trend. They're saying there's no understanding. I think they're not trying to market it yet uh, to the 
the average consumer. But maybe it if sounds they feel like, like there isn't a market for it, then why spend the resources on? Well, this was several years, so I'm thinking they want to know more about it, but they're not really getting the information. Mm. So it sounds like they're not even marketing it to restaurants. And in what I found is a lot of these companies that sell them, they have only one key person that knows anything about them. So that's the issue. It's a training with the distributors to kind of get the word out. They can't do it because they don't have anyone really yeah. trained to do it. And that must be frustrating if you're the restaurant person who's someone is talking about doing this or you're interested in it and that there's just no way for you to get on board with it because the lack of uh, either the lack of information or the lack of availability of different wines. So why would you spend the time and the money to get your restaurant fully loaded to do this kind of a thing when then you feel like their support isn't behind them? Right. Yeah. They wouldn't back it. So we have like uh, maybe four more trends. Yeah, that they so didn't a couple know. more What would here? you like to pick? Because we're so like running out. A trend to, that people would like to get away from is very, very pale, light style of rosé. And rosé rose is funny because the rosé trend has been going on for a few years now. And we've, we've sort of seen every style have its fans and then every style have its detractors. So it used to be that this like super duper pale, pale pink very dry very light you can close your eyes and think you're drinking a white wine style of rosé was like super hot and it was very trendy and we were on the opposite end of the conversation where this was the trend that that people were really talking about and now it seems like maybe this is a style that folks are maybe starting to want to get away from and you want a little richer fuller bodied more interesting more complex styles of rosé and, and get away from sort of this quote-unquote pink water style yeah i thought this was interesting because correct me if i'm wrong Kim, the, what's the biggest uh, rosé that started the light trend? Wasn't it? Wasn't it like a Provence rosé? Provence rose was that, like Whispering Angel key, or one right? of those. I mean, yeah, and it started the trend. So now they're saying the most popular style. Let's get away from it, probably because they want you to explore other grapes, right? right? So, which makes sense. The market is huge. You know, they're saying go for something else, right. which which I understand. But the the light is the traditional classic, the thing that started it all. Yep. So I would say, from an education standpoint, those a good status for people then work your way up to the, the head yeah and i don't think that that style of rosé is going anywhere i think that the the argument that a lot of these restaurant people or higher end retailers are, are saying is that now the market has been flooded with this style at lower quality so if it was the originals and higher quality and very well made that's one thing but because this was such a trendy style there were a lot of producers that are trying to make a similar style but aren't doing as good of a job of it and now we're ending up with a lot of insipid, lightly colored rosé. So Kim, um, there were three other trends. We won't mm-hmm. have time. So I'll let you pick out of the three, which one you want to hit. Okay. Bad can wine needs to go away. Building of wine brands, just a name, not quality. Or people drinking what social media says. Those are trends they want to see go away. Oh, what so would hard be to last choose. One? So I would say the social media trends, influencers trying to sell wine. It's just marketing. That's like I'm Smarting. I'm on board with that one. See, here's where I I it is a it is a trend, but for me this trend is great. Oh, and I'll tell you why. Tell me. As soon as someone puts anything on social media related to an alcoholic beverage, it generates buzz and people really go for it. So, so that's it great for you. Sales, yeah, yeah. So which I would think would be the same for a restaurant. If they're saying volcanic wines are good with whatever barbecue meat, they should love that and then stock maybe an extra one on the list. But maybe it go with the maybe trend. it changes too fast. Yeah. That's 
that could be in a restaurant that's a problem if it's a you know a hot wine now but in two months it's not going to be you can't change your list fast enough in in retail i i love this because someone will come in asking for some weird liqueur and they're buying sparkling and they're making some sort of sparkling cocktail because they saw it on the internet so that way for retail i think it's a good thing (laughs) that's great so we covered a lot of trends we could have talked a lot more on the trends kim so we're the whole basis of the show we're following trends in the wine world and that's why we wanted to discuss them with you today i think there was a lot of good points Thank you for listening to us today on the wonderful world of wine. We've been your hosts, Mark Lindsay of Franklin Liquors and Kim Simone of Vinitas Wine Works. You can find us on Facebook at The Wonderful World of Wine and also on iTunes. Cheers. Cheers.